Hello and welcome to Madget Radio, Scottish Ninth Ages podcast where we talk uh, about rubbish for an hour or so. I am your one of your hosts, Andrew, and I am joined by, as ever... What's up guys? I'm Paul. Um, I'm the resident noob, so I'm probably going to be spouting all sorts of crazy shit. That's going to be the theme of the show, I think, is just crazy shit. Um, the idea behind this podcast is to is it's kind of got a dual purpose. The first is to have an input on on the Ninth Age community from Scotland, and the second is to promote Ninth Age uh, across the UK, but particularly in Scotland, where we are both based. So, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the the podcast itself, um, we're going to just briefly talk about what the state of the Ninth Age in Scotland. So. Paul, do you want to like introduce yourself and tell everyone um, what army you're you're mastering at the moment? Yeah, mastering is probably a strong word. But um, so I'm Paul. I play Warriors of the Dark Gods. Uh, I'm fairly new to miniature wargaming. Um, Ninth Age is really the first system I've gotten into. Um, I've only actually been playing since January of this year. So, like I say, I'm definitely one of the least experienced players in the community. Uh, that we have here. Um, so like I say, I'm probably going to come out with all sorts of silly questions and nonsense about rules and stuff, but I think that's good to have someone coming from that kind of perspective Absolutely. in the hobby. I don't think, to be to be fair, I don't think you're that inexperienced. I think you're talking shite there, really. Well, I'd say compared to most other guys who are coming from 8th and oh, maybe right, playing okay. other systems. So the background at 8th, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, um, myself, I've got quite, I don't know, quite a long history with wargaming, I guess. Um, I, I've played for a long time. I, I dipped out of it like a lot of people do. Um, and then I kind of came back just towards the, eight, uh, the end of 8th edition. And I uh, started collecting the uh, Empire Army for 8th edition. Started to get it all painted up. And then um, end times happened. And... Uh, all went to pop kind of there. So I wasn't, although obviously I, I knew about fantasy and I'd played fantasy in previous editions, uh, but I wasn't really heavily invested in, in 8th edition because kind of missed the bus a wee bit. Um, so I kept plodding along with the Empire and then I found Ninth Age and then we kind of all hooked up uh, as a Scottish group and the rest is. Um, Ninth Age history, I guess. Yeah, I think we're actually quite lucky. Like we seem to have quite a good hardcore group of guys that meet up fairly regularly. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the meetup kind of system. So um, Scottish Ninth Age in in Scotland, unsurprisingly, uh, we host monthly meetups at Common Ground Games in Stirling, uh, where we meet up and basically have a game of Ninth Age, a day, sorry, of Ninth Age goodness. Uh, we also host um, like one-offs, uh, and we recently, in March, hosted yep. our first Ninth Age tournament, which Paul was um, involved in organising, uh, which was uh, Striveland Strife, which was a single competition, which went down really, really well. And yeah, we that was really of, fun. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of guys come and play, and we had great tournament uh, support through sponsors. Um, so yeah, Paul, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so that was the first ninth age tournament that we had. So we had sixteen guys. Um, 
some of them coming down from English clubs, which was really good. Um, we just did a kind of basic three-game, one-day kind of format, um, standard scenarios. Um, but, yeah, it was really good. It was really encouraging. Um, like I say, the kind of guys that meet up with the monthly meets, it's it's generally the same eight or nine guys, but we've all kind of got maybe one or two people that we play out with that kind of core group. So um, it's pretty good. So we're looking to obviously build on that for the forthcoming tournament in October. Absolutely. So if you are in Scotland and fancy giving us um, a shout out, we are on Facebook under Scottish Ninth Age. If you just look for that, it'll pop up. And we're also now on Twitter at Scottish Ninth Age or uh, Scottish Wildlings. So if you are interested in Ninth Age at all and you live in Scotland or maybe you are one of the disenfranchised after 8th edition, um, give us a shout and we will happily give you a game or walk you through ninth. So that's the kind of the advertising bit of the, the show over. A big part of this podcast is also to kind of get our group's voice out there uh, because we feel that there's a very a very vocal group on, on the forums and in, in the community at large um, and sometimes other voices get drowned out just because they're not loud enough. That's not a criticism, it's just an observation. So part of the idea of this podcast is to kind of talk about the things that we were thinking or maybe we have thoughts about. So the show itself um, will be divided into a number of set-piece topics. Uh, for instance, today we're going to be talking about Siege of Stryvland, which is our upcoming team event. We we're going to be running through the tournament itself, talking about the scenarios, uh, tournament support, the prizes, and also a brief minute talk about what we're thinking about putting into our lists. Then we're going to weigh in on the very controversial Ninth Age controversy, which has kind of been born out of Lord Tremendous's videos and comments. And then after that, people like uh, Cheapskate and Chaihammer have also weighed in on it, given their thoughts and we thought we we're gonna we we're gonna add to the <laughs> the conversation. I don't know if we to will actually. Yeah, I don't know if we'll add to it, but we'll certainly shoot some shit about it. <laughs> um, and then before finishing up, we're going to talk about looking forward to 2.0, and uh, particularly looking from our own army's perspective. So, uh, talk a bit about what Paul's maybe looking forward to to for uh, warriors. Um, and then I'm gonna <laughs> weigh in on AOS and Empire and uh, give you some thoughts about that as well. So, awesome. without any further ado, let's dive into topic one. So, Paul, see you just driving. Yep. Coming I'm up. excited. I'm excited too. So, this is going to be the second Scottish uh, tournament. So, like Andrew said, this is going to be a team event. So, it's going to be three-man teams. Um, what's quite good, original about this, so Andrew's put together quite an original set of secondary scenarios so no 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 you can't blame the scenarios just on me <laughs> the idea behind this tournament was uh about this time last year paul and i were having tournament blues because uh, it's about this time in the year that the tournament scene kind of dies off because we head in at christmas and things like that um so we'd had our singles tournament and it went really well and paul and i were like right okay what's um what's going to be our next thing so we went to the pub 
and we thought, you know what we'll do? We'll do these really cool custom scenarios for a team <laughs> event because that'll be really cool. That'll be really fun. And then we wrote up these scenarios and then we're going to have to bloody well play them. And <laughs> I think I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say these scenarios are better than the new ones that they've released. <gasps> Is that hard, though? I don't know if the new scenarios were that good. No, I know. It probably isn't. No. I mean, like, I've heard some people talk about the new scenarios and the have actually played them, so I should say that right off the bat. Like I've not actually played them, but just by reading them, I don't really see the excitement. Yeah, um, they kind of just really. like rebrands of kind of variations of the ones we've already got. Yeah, I mean maybe they're a little bit more nuanced than how they read on the page, but they just don't seem very exciting. Um, I think from having to write scenarios, though, I can totally appreciate. How, how hard it is. <laughs> yeah, just even like subtle changes can have massive effects on the game. So Absolutely. even just through playtesting the ones that we're going to be using for the team tournament, just there's even playing it three or four times, there's still things that come up and we're like, oh shit, we didn't think of that. Like, yeah. how's that going to factor into this scenario? So that leads us nicely on to the scenario themselves. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Siege of Stryvelin is, uh, like Paul said, it's a three-man team event, which were, is being held at Common Ground Games in Stirling, which is our kind of our home away from home. And um, it's on Saturday the 28th of October. We still have some tickets available. We're currently sitting at 22 people. We're capped out at 30 just now. Um, so there is still time and space if anyone else is interested. And if if it's just an individual, if you're just uh, by yourself and you haven't quite yet managed to convince all your friends to play Ninth Age yet, don't let that hold you back. We, If you want to sign on as a Merc, that's absolutely fine. We'll find a team for you and uh, we'll get everyone involved and have a good laugh. And then we're going to go out after and have a few beers and moan about dice, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good venue as well, we should say that, like Common Ground. It's, yeah, Common Ground. I'd say it's probably like the premier gaming venue in Scotland. I would say so. And Steve, who yeah. Steve, who owns the uh, Common Ground, he, there's a shop involved as well. Steve owns that. Great guy, and he's been really, really good to us. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it. As always, anything that's held at Common Ground's really, really good. So it's going to be sick, sick, sick. So the yep. tournaments themselves. Uh, sorry, the tournaments themselves. The scenarios themselves. Yeah. So it's going to be three games. So there's three different scenarios. Um, the first one. Uh, it's called Storm the Bridges. So what's quite good about the tournament, um, so we should say that the tournament that we held earlier in March, um, Edward, uh, who's part of the background, uh, background team, he's the head of the background, he, we're fortunate enough that he's actually part Scottish of our... Scottish kind of, I think is... Yeah. That's his um, he is part of our kind of gaming group, and he was involved in setting up that tournament as well, and... One of the cool things we did was he wrote some fluff uh, for the tournament. So there was a bit of a background narrative, which was good. And we've kind of carried that over into... Yeah, we bastardized this. it for speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's quite good because we've kind of woven that into the scenarios. So for the players that are really into the fluff in the background, I think that's something that they'll definitely enjoy yeah, definitely feeds in the them. tournament. Because at our singles event, the overall winner was a lovely man called Matthew Reed, who is from Iron and had, um, he, I think he, he played a lot against his brother and his his friend Joe, 
but he hadn't really had a lot, you know, a huge amount of ninth experience, and he came, uh, rocked up to the tournament with a, an amazingly painted undead army, and it was all yeah. ghoul themed, and uh, he wrecked. <laughs> He's just, cause it was so different to anything that we'd kind of been running, and even like uh, myself, Ed, and one of the other guys, Nick, we'd gone down to uh, Northern Wastes for the singles tournament in Durham, and. Matt's list was really different to anything that we kind of had ever come up across, and I played him first game, and you know he, he had a list, and he, although he was maybe maybe didn't have that much experience, he really knew what his list did, and didn't do, and like really nice guy, but really good player as well, and uh, he yep. ended up winning, which was really nice as well, that we had someone kind of homegrown <laughs> that had won the tournament, and uh, yeah, so. A big part of the we we wrote a little bit of fluff uh, for this one, and it's basically just the idea that um, in the aftermath of the singles tournament, uh, the undead kind of win out, and this is kind of what's happened after that. So, if you're interested in the fluff in that, you can go and read it. Um, we will not be publishing this in any Tolkien episodes <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah, we should say as a minor disclaimer that saying that a guy from the background team actually wrote some of the fluff, that doesn't mean that the fluff is at all binding. No, or Ed, Ed had... Canon yeah. or <laughs> no, no. Just is... in case anyone was rushing to like the, the forum pages to look up the, the old tournament <laughs> document, it's not like revealing in any way, shape or form. It was basically two drunk guys in a pub wrote this. So, <laughs> 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 so yeah, so all the all the tour, uh, sorry, all I keep saying tour, all the scenarios have a kind of fluffy link uh, to the overall narrative of the campaign. So scenario number one, like Paul said, is storm the bridges. So a big part of the kind of area of Strivelin is the River Varsa, and storm the bridges mimics um, two armies meeting at either side of the river and trying to win the crossing, which is two bridges. Uh, the river itself will be across the table. It'll be six inches wide, uh, and uh, across the river are two bridges, which are basically your objectives for the game. It's essentially frontline deployment, but with a big fuck off river in the middle and, and bridges. And um, the river itself has isn't like a standard water feature in the game. Infantry war beasts take DT2 trying to cross it. Um, monstrous infantry cavalry. Uh, monsters cavalry, monsters beasts and chariots take DT1 and monsters just wade through it. So basically the idea behind the scenario was um, to have a really grindy scenario where it's all about just being able to munch your your opponent but also if you want to take the risks and kind of gamble a wee bit there's the opportunity to get around your, your opponent over the river and maybe that can turn the tide in your favour. Yeah. Or if you're fortunate enough to have a buttload of monsters in your army book, then you can just bring them. Yeah, you don't give a shit then. <laughs> but that's, again, one of the good things about the tournament is that you can do that. You can tailor your army to one scenario, but it will come at the cost of the other scenarios. So we'll get to those um, after we've talked through this one. But um, we haven't really tried to try and highlight the secondaries and really make that the focus so that when people are thinking about what they want to bring to the tournament, they actually have to think about each individual one. Um, and it also being a team tournament, um, the matchups as well will be particularly important. Yeah. So the matchup system is going to mimic um, ETC, essentially. After a little bit, we originally had it that it was going to essentially be like random. 
but um, we've decided to change that after chats with a couple of guys uh, in our gaming group, and it's going to essentially be like scaled down ETC, where you play one card. Sorry, both team captains or team coaches play a single card, they flip it up, and then you match off of that, and then that will yep. leave a pair in the hand, which is your third pair. So, the the idea behind the scenario is that, is that each scenario would favour a slightly different playstyle. Um, so that either forces teams to take like a list of each type to do well in that specific scenario, or forces players to come with semi-balanced or all-round lists, whereby they can really compete in all of them. Um, we've found playing through them, and the guys playing through them in the club... Um, I think it's had a really good effect, actually. Talking yeah, to no, I think it has. Like, yeah. um, from a playtesting point of view, just having more people look at the rules and trying to highlight any potential issues and stuff, that's been really good. But I think just because there's been the rules feeds and such, like this is obviously introducing like a whole other new system of rules that people need to think about. So yeah. I think that's added to a lot of the fun. So, yeah, I think it's been really good. I think it's been really well received. Yeah, the, the special thanks to all the guys who have tested it as well, um, and have, have given us feedback because we we've had a good we've played all the scenarios a few times and we got to the point where we thought we had it all under wraps and then um, <laughs> Andy and Michael had a go and <laughs> they showed us that we're idiots. Uh, I think yeah, well that's I think um, we had to go back to the rule pack and we just had to kind of simplify and clarify a few points because yeah, I think. Absolutely. For their game, I think they had made things too complicated uh, for themselves, just how they had put the river together and stuff like that. Yeah, they hadn't really considered um, that we might be idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's literally just a big straight river right through the middle of the map. Yeah, um, I think they had like some yeah, cool bends and some awesome, one, like, yeah. proper scenery and stuff, which just was just like a fucking rules headache. It was like, no, that's just introducing a whole other problems. It's totally given yeah. me a new kind of appreciation <clears throat> of the the rules team and the guys, because like it's just such a ball like coming up with like yeah. the, the actual coming up with scenarios was fun and talking through them and that and when we went to the playtesting stage uh, and we were getting feedback of guys like I'd never even thought of some of this stuff like never even considered it and I think all our scenarios are relatively simple or straightforward and I just can't imagine what. Like really balancing a game, like as complex as Ninth Age, is really like so. It gave me a, a proper appreciation of all the effort that the, uh, the guys are doing. Yeah, for sure. So back to the scenarios. So the the um, the first scenario is the bridge one. I mean, it's relatively straightforward. It's really just you know standard deployment, but the the bridges are the objective. So a couple of times we've played play tested it a few times. Um, how have you found the play testing in this one? I. I quite like it because it's because it just dominates the table. You have to you have to the, the the scenario. There's like no getting away from it. Um, I think because I play warriors, I'm at a bit of a disadvantage in that I've got no ranged ability, so I don't have the luxury of hanging back and just attacking from range. Like I've got, really got to commit like from turn one because if I do hang back to try and mitigate shooting. That basically opens up the bridges to my opponent, who can yeah. get. So at that point, I'm not only being shot at, but I'm actually having to fight on my side of the river, which you're never going to win at that point. That's just game over. So 
it's quite good from that point of view. Um, on the other hand, because I do have monsters in my army, I can bring things to that I can just ignore the river. Um, certain armies can't do that. Like EOS, they don't have really any monsters. Um, we don't have any monsters, sir. No. <laughs> well, you've got a griffin, right? That's a monster. Oh, shit, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And that can fly as well, so yeah, he don't, he don't give a shit. That's another reason to bring Chicken Lord. Exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Chicken Lord in a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, no, I really like it. Um, I think when it comes to the tournament, I think that's something that we need to bear in mind for the pairings. Um, just, you know, I played this against Simon with his Sylvan Elves, and that was a bit of a nightmare. I really uh, like Simon's list. Yeah, it is really good. It's a good mix. Yeah. He does have some good tanky stuff in that as well. It's not all just avoidance, which is good. Yeah, um, so our friend Simon plays Sylvan Elves, and he's recently changed the way he kind of approaches his list, I think it's fair to say. And he's taken a lot more... It's not really MSU either, because he's got a big unit of Thicket Beasts, yeah. Um, a, you know, a big unit of spear to fill out his core, but then the rest of it's just really mobile shooting. And when he, I played him a couple of weeks ago, and when he put it on the table, I was looking at his list and thinking, there's nothing there that I'm really scared of. And then it got to the end of turn two, and <laughs> everything was shot to shit, and I couldn't catch anything, and it was just a nightmare. Yeah. I think the one downside he's got is the lack of BSB, but I think I talked him into maybe taking one. <sighs> yeah. To be fair, in our in the game we played, he didn't really need it because anything I caught, I destroyed. So there wasn't really any um, really need for the, the, the BSB because he kept his spears out of it and he threw the thicker beasts and and the thicker beasts are stubborn anyway. But yeah, yeah, I, I do, I, I do think a BSB is kind of like an all include. I think he's. I mean, he is. I, I'd say Simon's a pretty solid player. Um, anytime I play him, he always seems to know what he wants to do. Like he's always got a kind of game plan. I, yeah, which I generally don't always have, so I You're a Warriors that. player, you're not meant to have a game plan. <laughs> That's true. Um, but no, yeah, I think it's definitely a scenario that's going to suit certain play styles more than others. Yeah. Um, so Dwarves again, are going to be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. 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 Dwarves. dwarves. We'll not talk about dwarves. No, we're not going to talk about Dwarves. We're not going to be those guys. <laughs> um, so the second yeah. scenario... Do you want to yeah. dive into that one? So the second yeah. one uh, changes things up completely. It's um, it's based off the idea of a night raid. So the idea is that one side or the other has managed to secure the, the bridge foothold and uh, the army that hasn't been able to uh, retreats back to their camp. And the idea of this scenario is that both sides have a camp marker, which is pretty substantial. It's basically the same as um, a twenty, uh, sorry, a 5 by 4 unit 20 mil so it's 100 mil by 100 mil so it's like a unit sized camp uh, and you've got to try and raid your opponent's camp while protecting your own yeah the, I uh, think yeah sorry. yeah no I was just going to say I think um, of all the scenarios this one has the potential to be kind of mitigated against the most in the sense like if you really don't want to play it you you can't, depending on how you deploy your camp. So your camp gets deployed at the beginning of your game before any units go on the table. So one opponent would drop their camp, the other person would deploy their camp, and then you go on as deployment as normal. Um, when we play tested this at first, I think we just decided to just have a proper scrap 
and I don't think we really got anywhere near the camp. But not in the first game, no. No. Um, again, playing Warriors. I mean, we'll get onto the rules a little bit, but basically the the idea is that you have to destroy the camp and raids the camp, and the only way you can raid it is by charging it with a scoring unit. So you can destroy the camp out with close combat, with magic and shooting, like any other unit, but effectively the camp marker remains until you can get a scoring unit into it. So again, for armies with artillery and shooting, offensive magic, you can do damage before you even get to the camp, which is quite good. Um, But you've got to be able to take the camp. Yeah, so this is the thing. You can't just hang back, because you can just destroy it and then you're still not going to get the points. You actually have to be able to get to your opponent's side of the table. So I guess it's kind of a just a different take on Breakthrough, really. Yeah. So the camp itself, it's um, we've given it a stat line. So it's Weapon Skill 3, Strength 3, Toughness 5, 5 Wounds, Initiative 3, 6 Attacks. And that's meant to just mimic like a kind of camp guard if any of your scoring units actually get in it. So it's very takeable, but you you shouldn't be able to just throw like crap at it. So something yeah. like for EOS, I shouldn't be able to just to throw five um, electoral cav at camp and expect to get it. Yeah, for but, sure. And I've also yeah. tried to mitigate against the scouts and ambushers as well. So you can't scout and ambush within twelve inches of the camp. So yeah. Um, Again, if that's if you if you're bringing multiple scouting units, you can't just pop on the other side of the table and shoot it to shit. And again, yeah. you won't be able to take it anyway because chances are you're not going to be scoring. So yeah, um, I think that was the, from a kind of design point of view. I think one of the big things we had is that one army, cough cough, beast hurts, um, <laughs> really performs well in most scenarios, like just like general gameplay scenarios, because like, they've got the the fast. They're obviously very good in combat, but they've also got shooting abilities. Uh, they've got solid magic in the forms of their the, the access to lores that they have, but also the totems. So they're actually really, really hard to come up with a scenario that's really hard for them to compete in, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely think this is the scenario for Beast Terrors. Simply, I know we've got the uh, the scouts in the area special role for the camp, and that you can't deploy within 12 of the camp. So there is ways you can, like if you put a camp at a corner you've basically got a, a bubble there where he's not going to be able to get in but at the same time you've still got to be prepared to defend that camp because the chances are if you're playing a Beast Terrorist player they're going to have ambition and they're going to try and get get your camp. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, what I'm looking forward to with this is we're going to have prizes for the best camp. Yes we are. So each of our scenarios, there is going to be a special prize involved. So for the first scenario, there's going to be a special scenario prize for the per- any person that is able to capture both bridges, which is a task because having played the scenario a few times, um, I think there's only been once where I've had both bridges. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's quite good. So the second scenario, because we were because there is a way to mitigate the scenario in that basically you just don't compete for the, the camp. Uh, we decided that we would award the prize just for the person who brings the nicest camp, essentially, because it gives you a lot of freedom uh, in the modeling side of things as well to build something yeah. that's really cool. For sure. I think that's going to be really cool. Hopefully people will put some effort in and they won't just turn up with like 
a hundred mil square yeah, <laughs> yeah. with camp written on it. Yeah, I mean that's an option because we we are you know we are people we know that people are busy and might not have a chance to make their camp. Mine's is still sitting upstairs unpainted, so I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I think it gives people an opportunity to do something quite cool and quite unique. So I mean, talking to the guys as well, uh, like I know Ed is coming up with an idea for a special camp, and Simon's been talking to me about some kind of um, Sylvan Elfie thing that he's going to try and construct. So, I think yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah, I think it will be cool. But that's basically it for scenario two. And then the third and final scenario of the day is the one which I think is going to cause not the most headaches, but the most kind of mayhem. Yeah, this is my favourite one. Yeah, so game three is called Secure the Maiden. So the idea in the narrative, or the, the kind of fluff behind it, is that um, the city of Strivelin is built on top of a ruin which houses a weapon. You know, hashtag standard fantasy story. And uh, this kind of this mage within the city, or the the maiden, is responsible for protecting that. So, after game two, the armies have laid siege to Strivelin, and the city's fallen. And in the chaos and confusion the Maiden has kind of escaped in amongst the refugees that are fleeing the city. So this game is meant to mimic the armies trying to basically catch peasants and see if they're the, the Maiden or not. So this uh, the deployment for this one is the diagonal. And along the diagonal there will be three peasants between the armies. And the peasants will be random movement and they get their own movement phase before both armies in a, like a complete turn. So they will go 2d6 in a in a scattered dice direction. So the potential is that they go here, there and everywhere. Um, if they bounce off a table edge or a piece of impassable or a unit, they just continue back along the path they went. So there is the opportunity for these things to like block charges and things like that because they get in the way. Uh, and the only way to capture the peasants themselves is to charge them. So you have to make that decision. In a, in a scenario where you're already very close to the enemy, um, you have to make that decision whether you want to charge the peasant and take hold of the peasant, take possession of the peasant or, you know, let yourself be, or kind of go the more defensive and reactionary route. Yeah, and it has to be charged by scoring unit, right? Yes, scoring, yeah. But again, this one's scoring. Yeah, so if it lands in front of anything else and that model or unit can't get past it, you're effectively blocked and you're stuck there. Yeah. So (laughs) these things have the the capacity to basically pin you in place and for you to be charged by the enemy as well. So if a peasant runs in front of a Gortak, you have to laugh really hard at your opponent. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's your Gortak, then you, you can yeah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, but no, this is this is something that I, I think we didn't really appreciate at first, and then we played it, and then we were thinking like, oh shit, because last time we played it, there was a point where you basically sat in front of one of your knight units. Yeah. And you were just like, oh, I'm totally going to charge you now, and then I think the peasant moved, and then I couldn't charge you anymore. Yeah. So it it's quite, yeah, it's quite was, fun. Uh, it saved my ass because it moved. Um, my my knights hit something and didn't overrun far enough, so they were right in the middle. But then the peasant jumped in front of you, and you, yep. you can charge something like that. So, uh, I think this will be a really good, really good fun scenario. But I also think it's got. I th- the idea is that it's an equalizer scenario, and that I think the first two scenarios there's definitely set ways that you can play it to do well. The third scenario, because it's so random because of the nature of the objectives, is that it's really just a free-for-all. So if we've got teams that have done very well in the first two, 
the third scenario should be the kind of ideal playing fields where really it's just everyone everyone's game. Yeah, I think because of this, the random nature of it, I mean, it could really go either way. Um, I think it's quite hard from a, a pairing point of view to say that one uh, list is necessarily going to be better than the other. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because potentially the pedants might not factor into it, and then it just turns into a, a regular kind of pitch battle. Alternatively, it could totally affect one of your really important units, and then that takes them out of the game completely. Um, so, yeah, this is definitely my favourite of all the ones. I think this is because I had of, a lot of fun playing this one. Yeah, just because of it, it's so random. I think anything can happen, so I think that's quite good. We should point out as well that um, even if you capture one of the peasants with a scoring unit, if you if you break, if you panic, um, or if you're beaten in a single round of combat, you drop the peasant. And if you're beaten in the combat and you're up against another scoring unit, that scoring unit captures the peasant back. Yes. So um, I know when I played Simon, we played this scenario uh, most recently, and we had in the middle... The, the peasant just kept going between us because Simon would win around the combat, then I would win around the combat. Yeah. But then he cheated and beat me, so uh, <laughs> he didn't cheat. He just really pushed my shit in, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Those thicket beasts, toughness five. They're they're little bastards. Um. Yeah. So that's that's really it. That's the scenario. And like we say, the the idea behind each of the scenarios was really just to to do something different because we, we decided that we wanted to do a team tournament but we didn't want just to have kind of like a bog standard one especially yeah. like I think the freeze has generally been a very good thing the rules freeze uh, but I know as particularly now people are getting a bit restless and sick of the same thing and if you play as much as we do or as regularly we do um, it's nice to have different scenarios I think just to try your try your hand out yeah for sure like I think um for a tournament as well, for like a paid event, it's always nice for the organisers to bring something different to it. Um, that people aren't maybe aren't playing in their own clubs, um, and I think it helps it stand out. Something a bit fucking mental, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're quite lucky because in the UK there seems to be events all over the place fairly regularly, um, but the vast majority of them are all basically just playing regular, straight up. 4,500 point games. It's those tournament players, eh? Joyless so, bastards. They're so boring. <laughs> but uh, I think doing something like this, like if this is successful, and I'm sure it will be, um, if we do this again next year, then I see no reason why not just continue with the same second year objectives. Yeah, come with, that, uh, just, that just becomes yeah. part of the tournament. Absolutely. So, like we say, there's going to be special prizes for each of the scenarios uh, although it is a team tournament the prizes will be individual so there is a chance that if you do particularly well in your tournament and you your teammates let you down uh, you will get some kind of prize out of it um, but also we've been extremely lucky in the support that we've got for the tournament um, in terms of sponsorship so we've got a long list of sponsors we do, and we've been very lucky Yeah, I really don't want to miss anyone out here so the pressure's on so a big <laughs> big thank you to GameZone Miniatures, to Shieldwolf Miniatures, to Rotten Factory, who have been particularly generous in what they've given us. 
Uh, we also have been um, sponsored by Cromlick, who are uh, sponsoring our painting prize for Best Painted Army. Uh, they've given us a really cool special kind of uh, plaque for the winner of that. We have also been sponsored by Avatars of War, who are given, I think, it's, am I right in saying this, every participant, they're getting a, like a code? Yeah, so yeah. everyone for attending the tournament will get a discount voucher. Yeah, so obviously super generous. And we're also, we were lucky enough in, for um, Stripe and Strife to be sponsored by Mom Miniatures, who really, like, hats off to the guys at Mom. They're super generous. It was fucking ridiculous. Yeah, like, it was really. We basically just had a, a fucking model for everybody. So everyone who showed up basically just got a miniature, and we've still got stuff left over, so... They're in effect also sponsoring Strickland's Siege as yeah, well. Yeah, so thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Um, and it, we should probably mention as well that a big sponsor of uh, Strife was uh, Game Mat. Yeah, that was ridiculous. They provided uh, two mats, two 6x4 game mats yeah. as prizes. Um, and they also gave us a really good discount for anyone in the club that wanted to buy a mat, so I think we've got really good prices yeah. on 6x4s so, and 4x4s. Big thank you to them, and hopefully they'll be sponsoring us again when we uh, we do the singles competition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, the moment we've all been waiting for. Lists, Paul, tell me your list. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Fucking drum roll. Yeah. Um, I should point out as well that um, because of the way the numbers work, Paul and I have been kind of we purposely pulled ourselves back from all the guys that are trying to form teams because we wanted to wait and see what numbers were like, and because we're all yeah. we were willing to, you know, take a step back if numbers. But it looks like now that everyone's going to get to play, which is cool. Yeah, it's good. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's three-man team tournament, so because you need even team numbers, you basically need um, a number that's a factor of six. So you need either six. 12, 18, 24, 30 players. Yep. You can't have any number in between, otherwise it's not going to work. Yeah. So, yeah. so it looks but like we're going to have 24. Yes. Hopefully. Yes, I think we'll get 24. If not 30, please come. Yeah. Please come. Yeah. <laughs> it would be awesome. It would be really good to get yeah. um, 30 players, because that's like one of the good things about the last tournament, like you say, was the guys coming up from Durham. And for all that Big I'd say... Drew. Are, yeah. <laughs> and he's awesomely painted... Uh, Sorry, and to James and Tony as well who came up. Yeah, no, they were all really cool guys. Um, for all that our kind of community is growing, like we seem to be steadily pulling in the occasional new player. Um, Which is it's good. always good to get people in from like other metas because everyone's always playing different things, uh, and to see different armies and see how people are playing the game. So I used to hate really that term. What meta? Meta, yeah. I you used to always think like oh, you're so, you're so up your own arse. <laughs> talking about metas and that and then actually when I went down to Durham and I played in, in Durham I was like what the fuck are you guys playing down here it's not like we were playing up there <laughs> I know no I know I was kind of the same but I think as soon as you kind of enter that kind of tournament scene and the more you get into the hobby and things it's really like just the best word so it is yeah um, but yeah lists so basically I'm going to be rocking what I've normally been playing so it's basically a wrath list and no magic no shooting obviously um, so a two-phase army, movement and combat. Um, so, so all very, slow players are tasked to play Paul. Yeah, I think um, I don't think we're going to go into our lists like 
verbatim, but just to give you a, a general overview, because I think the, the are you plan for happy ones... with your your list? Like, is that? <sighs> yeah, I am. Like, I feel as 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 balanced as I can get it. Um, like, there's enough chaff. There's some good heavy hitters. There's some tanky units. Um, I feel like if I change it, it's just going to be too kind of lopsided in any one direction. Um, and I think just because of the scenarios, I think I'm just better keeping it as is. Um, as is yeah. I do yeah. like your list that you're running. You've been yeah. Running so it's, I mean, my list's basically very minimal character points. Like I've got a, a general and a BSB and together that's 740 points. Which is unheard of for Warriors. Which is fucking ridiculous. It's <laughs> um, like EOS are, numbers. <laughs> people are rocking like fucking generals and dragons at like 1200 points. Um, and then for core, there's a solid block of warriors. There's some fallen, uh, a shrine for anti-shooting protection. There's some chosen dragon centaurs, fallen beasts, um, warhounds for extra chaff. There's mauler chariot knights and a blood beast. So there's quite a lot in the list. Um, not a lot of big units in terms of high moral counts, but it's a warriors army, so I suppose that's normal. Um, yep. But like I say, I think it's as about as as balanced as I can get. Um, it was funny. I was looking back at the the lists for the tournament we had back in March, and it's just it's funny to see how people's lists have changed um, just in the last six months and what people are playing and how different it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's basically the gist. I'm not going to go into any more detail because I think, like I say, in subsequent episodes, I think we'll go through people's lists properly and more like. Yeah, we're hoping to have because um, the deadline for lists is a week before, um, before the tournament. So yeah. we're hoping to have a episode where we just talk about people's lists and maybe pick out a few and we'll, we'll go through them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, it will probably be super stressful because we'll still be trying to paint shit and finish our camps. Yeah, and, and apparently there's this thing called life as well, which. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I I hear about that sometimes. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> We'll get it done. Yeah, Everything will be fine. fine. Everything will be painted. Everything will be ready. We'll both be single by the end of this, though. Probably. 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 So my but list... If we get 24 players, <laughs> worth it. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> See you later, girls. Uh, my list is up in the air, I'm afraid to say. I did have a list... It is. Which... Yeah, I know. I did have a list which I was kind of happy with, and it's kind of like my standard approach to Empire. It's like tried and tested. Because I think one one really good thing about our group in Scotland is we play a fucking lot. <laughs> like we do meet a lot, we do play a lot. Um, so I have been able to really try a lot of things for for Empire, um, and I came to the conclusion that our core is really really shit. And a big yep. part of a successful Empire army, I think, is making your core really work for you, and not having dead points. Because I think a, what I've seen of um, people's lists elsewhere is that maybe they either go for like the standard 8th edition formula which is just have a big fuck off unit of heavy infantry and maybe like a couple spartans of smaller units or they go really kind of really avoidancy with their, their core I don't know if that's the right term where they just basically have units of core stuff that which they're going to keep out of the way as much as possible Yeah. or you go Hermanard Slash uh, Michael's way, which is bonkers, and have double your core lengths, which is all the units. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> everything. Uh, but so my my basic philosophy was having a big unit heavy infantry, 
and having two support units of heavy infantry either side. So you have like a triple battleship kind of thing. And because of the way that the support and manoeuvres work and orders work, um, it's actually a, a really solid way to run it, especially if you've got an uh, arcane engine rocking up behind them. My issue with that has been that, particularly playing against you guys, it's, it's, it's super predictable. So once you yeah. know what everything does, um, you either don't engage it because it's basically a res trap. That if, yeah. yeah, it's a res trap in that if you charge that main unit, it's game over because I'm just going to counter charge and get all the res in the world. Yeah, you've got to really charge the individual pieces. Yeah, and you've got you've got yeah, you've got to hold stuff up because if you just charge the support units, then that main unit's going to get you in the flank and stuff like that. Yeah, first time we played, uh, I think that was like my second game of all time. Yeah, so I totally abused the noob. <laughs> um, it was horrendous. Like I think I charged in like crushers or something to one of your support units. I was like, those guys are going to eat you alive. And then flank charges inevitably happened, and I was like, holy shit, what the, what, what the hell are you doing here? Like, what? I should point like, out that I held because of steadfast then charge. I didn't counter charge with the main unit. I'm not cheating. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. like, I think because. Because actually using the support system isn't actually a very popular way to run Empire. It's, it catches people out. It, it caught people out at Durham. And like even like, I mean, Ed, Scottish Knight, aka exec board member, Hotshot, uh, all the rest of it. You know, every time I play him, he forgets about it. And he does Ed some, does. Yeah, yeah. Every time I play him, he's like, fuck, I forgot you could do that. <laughs> and he's got no excuse. <laughs> see, see, the thing is, I the first time I played uh, Ed... Um, I remember him saying something like, "Oh, fallen! What did they do again?" And then I told him, "He was like, all right, okay, He's I'm getting their shit. He knows exactly no, what they do." No, but if, what he said was, "Oh, I'm getting their old rules mixed up with their new rules." Oh, right, okay. So he's in that privileged <laughs> position where he has that problem. But um, yeah, I don't know if that was just a line or not. I believed him at the time. Yeah. I give him the benefit of the doubt. No, it's a good player, good guy. Um, yeah, so. But my, yeah, my big issue with that is that it's just so predictable, and it's actually really unwieldy as well. And as soon as like as soon as you hit those combats, stuff starts breaking up either through you lose stuff in, in the, the kind of course of the game, or you know it overruns and stuff like that, and stuff starts getting out of that magical six-inch bubble that everything has to be in because I'm fucking empire. Um, and then that's when really issues start to come in. And I think particularly with the scenarios as well, I don't know if this is that's the best way to run it. Because it really relies on your opponent wanting to fight you, like face up, which a yeah. lot of people don't want to do. I mean, when you played the bridge scenario, I mean, obviously you can't do that. Exactly. You can't, you can't get everything on the bridge in that formation. So, like, when you played Nick, um, who also plays EOS, you guys basically just sad, sat on either yeah, side yeah. of the, the river and just decided to shoot the shit out of each other. Yeah, our friend Nick plays Beast House Majority, but he also has Empire, and he's a good Empire player. And when we played, we basically just sat on either side of the river and shot each other because... Yeah. But I guess in a mirror match, that's likely to happen anyway. Yeah. Because you're looking for that edge to push, but... The good thing about Nick and I is that... um, I think it's if you play Empire. If you play Empire, your dice are automatically shit. (laughs) I think yes, that's not that's not the reason I've got shit dice. <laughs> I think like all our war machines just get, like continue the misfired. It's karma. It is. That's what happens when you break double polygon. I know. I'm a dirty, dirty boy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my list is kind of up in there. I think that 
increasingly I'm thinking I might take like two units of uh, Outro Cav, like five man Cav, just for grabbing objectives. I really hate that. I, I don't like MSU, particularly for Empire. I know Hermanard, the the godly sage, is very effective a unit I, I using it, but I, just, I don't really like it. But I think maybe for the scenarios, that's the best way to go. I'm the same. I like MSU lost armies. I just don't like. Like I know they're very good at what to do, but um, it's just not appealing. And I think that's the thing. You've just got to play what you enjoy. But it's the balance of I want to enjoy what I'm playing, but I don't want to get steamrolled exactly. either. So how do I find a way to use the units that I like effectively? Um, which is good because that just for me adds another element to the game. Like that's why I like Ninth Age is that level of complexity. Yeah. So the list section is completely useless for everyone because we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> 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 but I think um, if you are if you are coming to the tournament and you're kind of stuck in your list as well, I think really read through the scenarios. Because I think yeah, and practice them. Yeah, the way the scenarios work will determine your list. Because I've, I mean, I think my list is very, you know, it's it's pretty strong for the set piece scenarios in the book. Like in most scenarios, I think it, it can really compete. But for yeah. these scenarios, I've been finding it's just it's not wieldy enough. So, I think because your your center is so regimented, um, with the peasants being able to peasants ain't no fucking peasants the here, boats. sir. <laughs> Heavy infantry. Talking, talking about this. Talking about the secondaries, man. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. So you call me an ectine whore there. Come on. God, sensitive much? <laughs> they get all the nice things. Nah, that's going to cause so, like a race war in the forums now. That's oh, like, probably. Um, yeah, it's just like with the peasants being able to like move so quickly across the boards, and with the bridges being quite a limited space that you have to fight over. I think your core and how it operates is very restricted in that sense. I mean, the rest, you've, you've got other good units. Like, the night boss is good. The steam tank's good. Yeah, this is another thing, which you're going to hear about more in a minute. But I use nightly orders. That's right. <laughs> I do. you got a fucking problem with that. <laughs> They're really fucking good. Um, they are good. I've seen that nightly order unit devastate my warrior units. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I like using nightly orders as well, mounted prelate. It's expensive, but it's super effective. And it really How much is that unit? Oh, well, the the knights themselves are like six hundred points. I think that's for eight with a stalker standard because I always roll ones for dangerous train. So I found that just take that ease off me, and I'll just roll ones for armor saves because that makes me feel better. Yep. Um, and I put a new prelate in there, and it just gives it gives them hatred and gives you access to the prayers. And if if like me, you don't trust magic and you just go prelates for the win. You've got a lot of spells coming at them, and they've really got to decide what they want to stop. Which so with that, with that prelate, that's like what seven hundred and fifty-ish points. No, because the prelate's quite expensive on the horse because he's fucking like he's something like ridiculously eighty points for a horse, and no, sorry, sixty points for the horse, and it's thirty points for Barden. Yeah, so it's ninety points for a fucking horse. Yeah. So how much is the unit with the with the prelate in there? It's about nine hundred points. Okay, I think so it's a quite expensive unit to be it, sure. It is, yeah. But that's the frustrating thing for me because I really like that unit, and it, when it works, it really works. But if you shoot it and they start losing bodies, or it doesn't do, if it really fluff, I mean, it's hard to fluff because all the rerolls. But if it does hit something and it fluffs, then yeah, that's I mean, you used to run it with a knight commander with a sunstall as well. Back in the day, <laughs> back in the day when it used to just like face stomp Gortax and everything else that basically got in its way. That 
that idea happened though because in our group there was a lot of monsters kicking about and actually i think empire really struggled against monsters i know everyone says cannons but i've got real issue with cannons because <laughs> i misfire a lot but i just think that cannons aren't reliable enough because if you miss then monsters are fast so you're really only going to get one more shot and you can't really one shot monsters anymore because of the way the rules work so you really need to be hitting them twice to kill them yeah, I think that's fair enough. Like, as someone that occasionally rings monsters, it's pretty disheartening to get your monster that's maybe, like, I don't know, the EDC, what's that, like, 500-odd points killed before it sees combat because a 200-odd oh, totally. point yeah, yeah. at the no, end of the table shot it. So absolutely agree. But... I think I think shooting it multiple times is a good thing, but I know, I know what you're saying. Like, you're bringing it for that purpose, so if it doesn't work, then you're screwed because nothing else is going to be able to handle it. Exactly, and because it's it's d3 plus 1 now which you know I'm okay with but because it is d3 plus 1 cannons aren't very good taking out enemy artillery anymore either because you can't one shot them so like elven yeah. bolt throwers are significantly cheaper than cannons but if you if I shoot one of your bolt throwers I can't kill it with one shot whereas you've got multiple bolt throwers you can kill my cannon so I really need to double up a cannon and because I can only take 3 you know, it's just one of the restrictions that the EOS book has that yeah. makes it, you kind of have to decide what you want your army to do with the OS, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, you know, that's why, I, that was one of the big reasons why I went for the Knights originally, was to provide me with another anti-monster option. And they look cool on the table. And they look fucking badass, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they're getting cut from 2.0, which I'm really upset about, but we'll talk, we'll talk about that in a wee bit. So, we've, we've spent Long enough talking about the tournament. Cool. Let's move on to topic two, which is Ninth Age Controversy. So, Paul, what's your thoughts? I don't know. Like, I'm a little bit surprised. Like, I'm someone who goes on the forums. I read the Warriors forums. I maybe read, like, the tournament stuff, bits and pieces here and there, just things that catch my eye. So, I'd say the Warrior forum for the past six, eight weeks has been really quiet. Like, I think people, maybe more so in the Warrior community, because we know that's one of the first books that are coming out. The Warrior so, community. Love that. Community. <laughs> yeah. We all get together in our armour, and our fur cloaks Warriors. and set Yeah. I, I don't know, maybe it's just because we know that we'll be getting a book of some description in the next few months, so people are just kind of resigned to playing the game as is, but I don't really have any like major issues with the current army book like obviously I get frustrate, frustrated with certain things like everyone else but I think maybe because I'm not coming from 8th edition and 7th edition and playing the you know the game uh, that's yeah, not I don't know. for 20 plus years like yeah. I'm I don't maybe I just don't have the same level of investment in it um but I I mean I really like it I, I really like the game as it is um I'm looking forward to the new book like I do want to see what they've been working on and I'm looking forward to the new fluff. Um, but yeah, like I'm not someone that's, you know, really petitioning a certain thing to happen in the new book. Um, like we were chatting before, I'd like options to be able to do more things when I'm playing the game. Obviously, like I said before, my army only has things to do in two phases. So if I'm playing a game against an orc and goblin player, who has something to do in every phase, I feel like I'm only playing for like an hour, and they're playing for two yeah, hours. two-thirds of your game, yeah. Yeah, so 
I think it would be more more enjoyable. I'm not saying we need to be great in those other phases, but I think having something to do, having some option, and if there's going to be seven gods now rather than the, the four, um, maybe that'll have some sort of tie-in. Maybe the different gods will open up different um, options in the rulebook. I don't know. But um, generally speaking, just with all the kind of shit that's been going on, it just seems to be a little bit out of the blue, just because of, I, I get people being frustrated with the rule freeze because it's been going on for the majority of the year. But if you've been enjoying playing the game to some capacity for the last six, eight, nine months, nothing's changed. So it, to me, it's kind of strange. Like it's all sort of kicked off in the last week. Um, and it's all seemed to come off the back of uh, Lord Tremendous's post. And I think that was in part just because of stuff that was going on with him personally. I don't know. I mean, that's my impression of it. That might not be the case, but I don't know. Like, yeah, I think we should probably I, I, say that um, if anyone doesn't know or hasn't heard, which I don't know where, <laughs> where you've been like, but um, this is what, yeah, like Paul said, it's all kicked off after Lord Tremendous posted a video uh essentially criticising the way that the Ninth Age has been run, uh, particularly in the run-up to 2.0, and he's um, accused the exec board of basically running the game into the ground because of the way that they've treated the community and treated the the rule set um, as a whole, and particularly in the states that's having a really bad backlash and he cited things like uh, Ninth Age getting dropped from Adepticon and communities kind of drying up in the states as reasons for that. See, I'm kind of cut on this one. Like, I I love Ninth Age. I I love the the community, and I love you know everyone really really investing in this game. That's really it is a community game. We all kind of come together and added our own little bit about it, and I think that's great. And I think like our community is really testament to the power that it has because there's the only thing that keeps us coming back is kind of everyone enjoys the game and everyone wants to be involved in the game, and you know stuff like us going down south uh, to tournaments and us, you know, hosting this very podcast is like evidence of our investment in that ge- in the game system that we've all kind of maintained and sustained. However, I do think that he did have a point when he talks about the kind of the secrecy and how the boards, various boards and committees are keeping cards really close to their chest. And Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, I think it could be done better, certain things. And I think it's in part a learning process for everyone that's involved, like everyone that's working on the rules and the background and stuff. Like They're not coming from that as their day job. They, they do other things. So they're learning as they go as well to, to an extent. But I think it would be better if it was more transparent. Like Even if they're saying, these are the kind of things we're playtesting, these are the kind of things we've been finding, uh, in the games that we've tested these new rules for, they don't work because of X, Y, and Z. And so we're going to change it to this. They're giving you the explanations for things and why they're choosing to go down certain avenues, but they're not necessarily um, consulting with the community directly, um, which I think if they were to do, we'd be waiting 10 years for the new book to come out because no one's going to agree yeah, on it. Yeah. But I think it's, like you say, it's the transparency that I think is a fair enough criticism i think that could be done better yeah because i think like we we've obviously got an inside view a little bit because we we know ed and we 
I mean, Ed really doesn't tell a shit, which is really, really frustrating, I can tell you. Just wait till we get him on the podcast. <sighs> yeah, Ed's going to be a, uh, a guest, and we're going to, like, really grill him. But <laughs> because we know Ed, like, we know how much work is involved, particularly those, those kind of exec board guys. The amount of hours they must put in is ridiculous, and it is voluntary, and, like, I'm 100% aware of that. But, you know, I know they're saying that once they drop 2.0, there's going to be this kind of, like, testing period where everything's kind of up for grabs and that we can feed back in that. But when they drop 2.0, that will be an addition of the game, which they, they will drop. I know they've, they've also said the 1.3 will remain, blah, 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 blah. But when they release 2.0, it will be an, a playable addition, which they've been developing for a long time and they've been playtesting. And I think they've made fairly substantial calls on a number of army books because of the way that the balance team have approached it in this like plus minus kind of system where uh, you can only get a bonus if you take away from something else so that I mean that that's a generalization because I know certain army books have needed more input than others but that kind of plus minus system has meant that there's been actually some really big calls made and that certain books will be going into that testing phase radically different from the way they are now. And what's really annoying as a player is going onto the forums to look for some just like general ideas about where your book's going and being treated like a child and, you know, getting all this shit like, oh, we're thinking about this. Um, you should really look forward to this unit because it's getting changed. Like, yeah, okay, right. What what's changing? Like, for me, like, I, personally, the steam tanks one for me. I don't think that the steam tanks particularly in a bad position just now, but I'm obviously in a minority on the forum. I really like the steam tank. I, I like it soft. as well. Yeah, I think it's nice. It's, it's really good. It's fluffy and it's fucking cheap for what it is. Yeah. The only thing is the chariot rule, which is bullshit. Yeah. But you know, the, the steam tank has been a a point of contention within the EOS community because of the way the chart works. And basically it's unreliability. That's what they say. Which is, you know, okay, fair enough. Uh, but Dan T, who is our army book kind of guy, or our our link to the boards. Yeah, I mean, Dan's got a hard job, and I'm not really not criticising Dan himself, but he released that the Steam Tank's getting changed, but he's not really said how. He's not given any idea about all these changes. Yeah, in that case, you're probably just better not saying anything. Well, that's what I've been doing because I don't want to get really involved in this kind of get having to guess what's going to happen. No, I mean like he shouldn't really, unless you're prepared to say what it is you're changing. Don't allude to something and then say, "Oh, I can't oh right, talk. so him, yeah, yeah, yeah." I think that's annoying a lot of people, which is fair enough because it's all very well for them to say that because they know where it's coming. And if they agree with the change, then of course they're going to be excited about it. It's not like everyone's really... I think I understand where, why they're getting anxious about it, like the Rose team and stuff like that. Or the, sorry, not just the Rose team, like the, the ninth guys in particular. And that they don't want to release like hardcore stats because things are still in that equilibrium kind of phase where everything's getting balanced and things will change, which is absolutely fair enough. And I don't think people are really wanting that. They really just want to know what the general idea is going to be. So, to get, go back to the Steam Tank, it's getting changed. How's it getting changed? Is it going to just have set stats? Is it going to be random movement? Is it going to just be set movement now? And we don't really even need the final answer. Like, you could just be saying, this is what we're, we're thinking. It will be set stats and it will have set movement. 
but it's just going to be it's going to be a tank, essentially. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? I don't think we're getting that level of communication just now. No, we're probably not. Um, I don't know. I think it. I don't know. Maybe I just don't spend enough time on the forums. Um, what you trying to say, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's obviously certain people are on the forums. <laughs> I don't know as well. Like it just depends on like the community that you're in. Maybe certain communities are just they've got more to fear because their books are, are more of a threat than others. I don't know. The problem with EOS is, like you say, is core. Things probably are too expensive, and you're sort you're too limited to what else you can bring because of your core limits. Um, I should point out as well that I really don't have any major issues with the, the Empire book just now or the EOS book because. I actually think that overall it's a very good book. It's got good balance inside of it. Um, I just think it really for the Empire book, all I was expecting for 2.0 was like price tweaks and changes to our magical items. Because I actually think yeah. overall everything works the way it should. And it's a very combined arms army, which makes sense because it's meant to be. Um, there's no... I know people have been talking about because the ETC and all that crap, that there's certain units that are overperforming those that never get taken but I don't really think that's the case I think there are most units in that book get taken um, yeah I think there are certain things like light infantry I think they need something to make them more um, attractive because people just seem to be running the militia because they are better exactly because militia do everything that light infantry are meant to be doing yeah like I thought cheaper. like I'm not an, obviously an EOS player but talking to you about it I was really surprised when you were like no they've got the same ballistic skill like I thought, oh, light infantry would maybe be better, and they're not. Nope. And like you say, they do everything that they, they can do and more. I think that again, that's a hangover from uh, fantasy in eighth edition, because you don't want. I always think like ballistic skill four is like elf territory, and really you need to be elf or like really good equivalent to get into that bracket. And yeah. there was a decision made in GW long ago that that would, wasn't really a human thing and that you, humans would normally be capped at Blitz Skill 3, which is fine. But we're not in that world anymore. We've got a new book and I, I really don't... I'm, I'm not arguing that Light Infantry should be Blitz Skill 4 because I don't think they should be. But I think that that's just one of those instances where it's like a hangover from yeah. previous... Yeah. Like, even if it was... I don't know. Like I've heard other people propose alternatives, like give them the ability to shoot in three ranks or something like that. Like give them, give them something that makes them attractive enough to want to take over militia, depending on else how else you want to run the army. Because um, like you say, it is a mixed arms book, and that's how it should operate. But at the minute, like you say, I think it's more of a case that you need to give the light infantry something rather than take something away from the militia. Like, I don't, like, that seems to be how they're approaching some of the changes. Like, if something's good, you have to make it less good to bring it in line with everything else, rather than the other way around. Like, it doesn't need to be, don't have the unit basically do the same thing. So they've talked about that. It's cutting units where they feel like there's redundancy, because there's other units that do the same job, but better. So it's about, okay, don't cut the unit, just give it something else. Make it do another job in the book. I mean, that to me, that sounds perfectly logical, but I'm not in the playtesting group. I don't know if they've tried that, and for whatever reason, they can't get it to work. I don't know. Again, this is a transparency issue as well, because I mean, yeah. one, of, one of the big calls, and this kind of came out from when Hermann Art, um, Hallow Be Thy Name, 
<laughs> leaked uh, bits and pieces on the, the Empire forum, which almost caused a riot, which was hilarious to watch. Um, he said that nightly orders were getting dropped as a unit, which, I mean, I really like nightly orders because I use them a lot. So, I mean, I'm already not a huge fan of that decision, but I'm even less of a fan, especially since they made a big deal about not dropping any more units and that, if anything, they were going to add stuff. And I know that the reason they've been dropped is because of that conflict between uh, core knights, whether that be electoral or imperial, and themselves, and what roles those units filled. But -hmm. I just think that's like an unnecessary change that wasn't consulted with the community. Yeah, I mean, especially like if if, like I've I've got a shit memory. I don't I can't remember them saying that they weren't going to cut more units. but if they've said that and then they are, I think that was the end of, just a, was it one point two when one point two got released. It might. I have a vague recollection of them saying something like that. Um, but yeah, like it's as if that if that's the case, that's really disappointing. Like for them to say one thing and then do another, because then that is just not listening to the community or just not respecting the community enough to say, look, we've changed our minds and this is the reason why, but this is what we want to do and actually give enough details to satisfy the community. Like, I feel like any time they do any kind of drop, it's so general. It's more just about the strategy rather than actually what they're doing. Like, it's not really telling you anything. Like, you can get three or four paragraphs and not really get much in the way of information. Yeah, they've developed this art form, I think, of releasing information, which is, you know, a good couple pages long and actually saying fuck all. Yeah, which I think is another thing that needs to change because that I think that is pissing people off. Yeah, it's the fact that because they, they build you up about it as well. I mean, they, they keep saying things like, "Oh, there's going to be this drop in, in the next week." We're really excited about it, and then you read it and you think, "Oh, okay, is that, that was yeah. very good." I'm gonna have to wait for the next one and hope that that's better. Um, like you would think, if they're expecting the book to come this year, there should be plenty of stuff that they could be telling us now to get people excited without giving too much away. Like, I would have assumed that the majority of the work is done by now. Do you know what I mean? Like, they've got most of the stuff figured yeah. out. They're just tweaking things now and, and I think testing as, it to make sure it's fine. Yeah, I think as a backlash from all the controversy that kind of has arisen in the last week or so, that the, um, the community guys have been told or given the permission to release more stuff as a result of that, because I know that each um, each form section for each army now will be receiving like a, a sneak peek thing from yeah, which you know that that's good, but you know why wasn't that in place from the beginning? Yeah, I think like I said to begin with, I think in part they're kind of learning as they go. I think they're I think they probably realise that the community isn't satisfied with how things are being dealt with, and they are trying to make amends for that, which is a good sign. So hopefully that's something that is going to change and it's going to improve, but unless it does improve, then I think what people are saying about you know communities dwindling and there seems to be less people playing the game, I think that's something that could continue. Like I don't think I don't see it happening where we are because like I say, we seem to be doing pretty well in terms of people coming in and playing the game, but I don't know if that's maybe affecting communities that are primarily based up of people that are coming from it and like I say they have these kind of preconceived ideas about how they think their book should be 
I don't know. I think that's it. It's the balancing act because I think no matter what 2.0 does, because of the nature of how the systems had to develop, 2.0 will drive people away. That's not that's not a criticism. It's just a fact. Like there will be people that view 2.0, see it as too different from what was you know fantasy system, and will not play. They'll go play Age of Sigmar or something. But that that's that was going to happen anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. For sure. So it's more important that they just make a good system that people can keep playing. And they, no matter what 2.0 is, they're not going to lose players like you and I who just want, you know, we really enjoy the system in the community and we want to just keep on playing. But as, you know, just as a player, I'm concerned that if they don't start being a little bit more, you know, loose with information and just generally more open, I think that it will. There's people who are on the fringe that they're pushing away by if they don't change. Yeah, for sure. I think they're not going to please everyone, regardless. Absolutely. So they may as well be more forthcoming with information now and make sure that you're satisfying the, the people who are likely to stay. You don't want people leaving for their own reasons, because people could leave and the rules could come out and they could have actually been quite satisfied, but because of how things are getting dealt with, that's turned them off. So, like I say, you don't want people leaving for their own reasons. But overall, I think the decision to freeze the rules was a good one. Yeah, um, I've like I say, I've been really enjoying playing the game. Absolutely, I re- I really enjoy the game as it is just now. I do think that I enjoy the game in the knowledge that there are areas that they're going to fix, like magic. I think it definitely needs to be fixed. Um, yeah, I think they went too far when they did the cut. I think when they changed the lores, I think there was good reasoning for that. Absolutely, like I like yeah, the fact yeah. that it doesn't. You know, you don't cast a spell and you win the game. Um, I like that aspect to it, but at the same time, I think there needs to be. I think it goes to be back more, to points, doesn't it? Because like it does, because it's just not worth it. Like, especially in like warriors. Like, if I bring a, a wizard, then that's you know you've really got to put the points into them, and for what the spells do, you don't always get the return. So it's just, do you spend the seven hundred points on a caster? and risk it not doing anything, or do you just bring two more units? Yeah, and what, what's going to be units. more reliable, yeah, exactly. I think that's just... But that, again, I don't think magic in, is in a bad sense, you know, sorry, in a bad place, in the sense that, you know, it's unusable. I think most... I mean, there are certain lores, like witchcraft, I think needs to get changed because it's not very good, but I think overall magic's in a good place, but it's just not cost-effective, which is the real issue, especially when you compare it to bound spells like EOS prayers or you know dwarven holds, yeah, or um, beast herds totems because they're just they're cheaper and they're so much more reliable. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like certain lowers, I think, are very good, like uh, playing Nyx, beast herds, and when it's getting totems and druidism off on a unit, it's just devastating. Druidism. I've got real issues with that. <laughs> um, so I think there is, for certain armies, I think it's worth taking. But like you say, it's a, it's a points thing because it's cheaper for some armies to bring even just casters, never mind the ability to bring bound spells, which are cheaper. Yeah, like orcs and goblins with goblin shamans can take lo- multiple low-level wizards and be very effective at it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, something like warriors... There's there's no option to do that because you have to you're paying for a fighty character with that magic premium on top. Yeah, and that's something they've said that's going to change. So that's something. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they they will. Magic is one of the big things that'll be changing. I just I hope they don't go too far the other way. Yeah, it's finding the balance. Um, Hopefully, it's attractive enough to take, 
um, but it's not going to be you're not going to be penalised for not taking it at the same time. Um, because, like you say, I think it will remain something that will be more expensive for certain armies to bring. Yeah. Um, but I think that's I think that's how it should be. Like you say, I think certain armies need it. Like I think EOS needs it in some form. Orcs and goblins tend to need it. Um, it makes sense for how those armies are supposed to work, I suppose. But just like you say, some of the lores in particular just are just not very good. Like occultism is. Oh, why would anyone bring occultism in a warrior's army unless you're running like? Just barbarians everywhere. Yeah. And you don't give a shit about them, but like you're not going to sacrifice elite guys for a spell that isn't even probably going to be worth it. I think that's it, isn't it? It's just like a couple of the lores just don't have a place. Because even occultism, I mean, certain vampire armies can take occultism. And, you know, vampires are like the ideal army where occultism should work because you could just like shed loads of shit that you can sacrifice. The yeah. issue is that why would you ever take occultism when you can take evocation? Because it's just so much better. I don't know. I think that's something that's likely to go. If that lore doesn't change, I'll be very surprised. Yeah. But th- that is, you know, I, I think everyone is in no doubt that magic is changing. It's just the extent to which it's changing is a bit up in the air. Okay, so concluding thoughts on Ninth Age controversy. Paul, put you on the spot here. Is Ninth Age dead? <laughs> Hope not. Tell me, Doc. Um, it better fucking not be. No. Um, no, I don't think it is. I think um, I think this is like a storm and a, and a teacup, really. I think this is just player frustration boiling over with how things are run, as opposed to the game itself, really. Um, because, like I say, the game itself hasn't changed for the last eight months. Yeah. So, I think it's just people are just getting to the point now where they they want answers for things. So if the powers of be are going to start releasing things as they've said they would, then hopefully that will appease enough people. Um, but hopefully going forward, they're, they're going to take note of this and they're actually going to start being a lot more transparent and they're also going to start being accountable because that's something else I know some people have talked about on podcasts. If you've got someone who is attached to the project in a kind of formal capacity, who does say something, then they should be held to account. Um, you know, we're not talking about... Burn out. Yeah, we're not talking about lynching anyone, but, you know, if someone says, oh, this is going to be done by a certain time, and it's not, then that person should just come out and say, oh, we're really sorry, but this this, and this happened, yeah. and it's, it's not going to happen, and then it's like, okay, fine. Don't I think that's it, because I think... Try and be too defensive about it and say that, oh, we never said that, or whatever. Like, I think there's been certain accusations made against the rules team, which I don't think are true. Um, and I think some things from what they've said have been taken out of context, and people have just misunderstood. But I think there's truth on both sides here. I think, the, the, like I say, the powers that be need to take note of this, and for the good of the game, make a more conscious effort to be more transparent. Yeah, I agree. I think that none of this, the vast majority of the output that's coming from the community about this issue really shouldn't be seen as an attack on the guys that are doing it because I think everyone really knows how much work and effort those guys have been putting in and you know everyone's extremely grateful for that. It's just that we want, we want to know where it's all kind of vaguely going. It's just like we really don't want stats and shit like that. We just want to know, is my army going to play the same way or do I need to kind of reconsider things going into 2.2 yeah i mean like 
I can't see them doing this, but you know, even something as simple like when they're having their meetings, balance and team are sitting around and they're talking about the latest run of playtests and how they've gone. Is there no way to kind of keep minutes of that and post it and say, this is what we discussed. These rules don't work. These ones do. So we're going to go back and we're going to try and test this. Yeah. I think the thing they're scared of, and when I was talking to Ed about this, is that because everything was in that kind of crucial test and, and thrown ideas about phase, that if you opened that form up to the public, that you're just going to get inundated with uh, like people moaning or people trying to be helpful, but they're really just adding to the problem. I think that's inevitable. As soon as you give someone the capacity to sit at a keyboard and write their opinion, <laughs> there, there's always going to be people that come across that way. Do you want to name and shame anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I think they just need to You be, know who you are. I think they just need to be a bit more confident and say, look, they're obviously trying to make the best possible game because they're, they're in the hobby as well. They want to play and enjoy it. I think they need to, just need to say, right, this is what we've decided and this is what we're going to go with. I think they just need to be a bit more confident like, and just go with it. I think they do need to be more forthcoming and they just need to kind of stick to their guns and say, this is what we'd like to try. And if the overwhelming majority of the community comes back and says, we don't like that, and that is a genuine response, then... <laughs> The thing is, I mean, they're obviously playtesting everything. If this is going to get opened up to a kind of public playtesting, then within the first week, there's probably going to be more public playtesting that gets done than they, what they've been able to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So in the same way when we were talking about playtesting the objectives for the tournament, people are going to be flagging up all sorts of shit. Like, you didn't think about this combination with this rule or this magic item. How does this work? And they're going to go have to revisit things and tweak things and that's going to be inevitable anyway. Um, I appreciate that they're wary of opening it up and they feel like they're being attacked uh, on a personal level because people are basically saying they don't like their ideas. But I think, yeah, that there has been instances on the forum where people have had a go at people with like kind of a team banner on their forum name. Yeah. And it's it's getting to the personal stage and that's just it's not on. Yeah. I mean, and if, if that happens... I think they're well within the right just to be like, look, that's just unacceptable behaviour. We're just going to delete the comment and you'll be warned. Like yeah. People moan about... I think there's instances where people are warned for good reason. And there's other instances where people get warned for silly reasons. Yeah, let's right? talk about that real quick. <laughs> Fuck you, moderators. What was it you got? Um, for saying ass. Yeah. Six ridiculous. months ago. <laughs> it wasn't even like a recent thing. I got moderated for saying ass. I didn't even write ass because I knew how fucking bitchy they get. So I did like the the dollar sign. So it was like eight dollar dollar. I still got moderated. Whatever. I think we've sworn enough in this podcast to get sweet, <laughs> sweet revenge. Um, so I think that's a good point to kind of wrap that topic up on. I think yeah, yeah we're both the, the game isn't dead by any means, but I think this has hopefully been a positive thing. This whole controversy and kind of helps things going forward. Yeah, like I think that's going to be the test, is how they decide to respond to people's uh, understandable objections to how things yeah. are being run. If they respond to it positively, then it'll be a great thing, because then people will be more satisfied with the direction, and they will have more confidence in the people making these kind of decisions. Um, if they don't, then if that has a negative effect, then unfortunately that's kind of on the, the powers that be. Um, what is it, the, what's the saying that people have been uttering around the podcasts recently. Death um, to the rules team. 
Death to the Rules team is one. <laughs> jokes, guys, but jokes. Uh, there's also, what is it? Uh, perception is reality. So even if something isn't that's the case... That's way too that's, deep for me. Yeah, even if something isn't necessarily the case. If that's, if that's how it's perceived, then you have to respond to it. Yeah. You have to make a conscious yeah. effort to kind of assuage people's concerns. But yeah. um, no, I, I don't think it's dead at all. Like I think um, I'm really looking forward to what's coming out, and I'm sure it'll be good. What an excellent segue, Paul, into our third and final topic. <laughs> <laughs> what is our third and final topic? Funny you ask. Third and final topic <laughs> is looking forward to 2.0. Yeah. Oh, right, nice. So, I didn't even mean that. Like, I generally couldn't even remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're a professional. It's good. Okay. Okay, so looking forward to 2.0 as a Warriors player. Obviously, you're in a kind of unique position because your book's getting completely redone. So is there anything looking forward that you are you're maybe wanting to get rid of in the Warriors book or something that you particularly want added or kept the same even? I'm looking forward to the the more gods aspect. Like I really like the marks, um, although I'll say that the fact that they're taking away marks for core units um, and the kind of non-elite elite units of the book apparently aren't going to be marked. Um, but again, I've said that they're adjusting the stat values so the guys effectively won't need marks, which is interesting. So I don't. There's nothing that I'm desperate like for. Like, um, I think some of the monsters could do with. I don't know. Just being a little bit more. Just have another something. Yeah, like I think certain ones, like the Chimera, I don't think is good. Like I, when I read the rulebook, I never look at the Chimera and think, oh, I want to take that. Like they've talked about giants a lot and how they're changing, so that's good. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the giant. I just think they need to be a little bit more distinguishable among themselves and have like designated roles we were talking about this before like i think it would be good for my army to have something to do in all the phases like i want to be able to bring magic and not be a massive point sink um and and i I can actually that's going to be something i'm going to get use out of the game and i yeah i'm sure other people feel that way in other army books that's not a warriors only gripe the challenging rules need change they're massive pain in the bum it's just so oh, frustrating. No is here. Sipping ass. No, it's fine. <laughs> when your fucking wizard That's general gets caught out. <laughs> I think that needs to really change. Um, because there never really seems to be a major disadvantage for people to refuse. Obviously, unless Better they've got armies, like... Yeah. thing is as well, like, our Kelly characters are good. But they're not... I don't think they're absolutely amazing. They're not Dwarf King good. They're not Dwarf King good, no. Um, I've had lists where I've had what I would perceive to be Killy lords on, like, you know, he's got the flaming sword, he's on a monster, and he's getting beat by regular lords of other armies, and I just don't get it. So I think that the characters need something. You're shit um, throwing dice, though. you got to remember that. Yeah, yeah. I threw a lot of ones. <laughs> um, it's funny, me and Andrew have bought new dice for the tournament. Yes, we have. They're, oh, by the way, they're uh, out for delivery. They should be arriving. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm not, like I said, I'm not someone that sits around and is like, oh, I really want this to happen and this needs to change and they need this new value. Like, I'm kind of open. Like, I'm kind of trusting the team that they know more than I do, which they probably do because, like I say, I'm a new player. So, I don't know, maybe that's kind of why I'm I feel fairly relaxed about it. Like, I'm not really worried. I would say there's a couple of things I have said about the book that I'm not particularly looking forward to. Okay, what's that? Um, things like 
obviously we don't know what's happening to the main rules, so this might not be an issue, but things like oh, we don't get rank bonuses or bonuses for banners and static combat res. Mm. So if I charge and I've got three ranks, two banners and a war standard, that would normally be six combat res. I'm not going to have that anymore, which means that all things being equal, I'm having to make sure that my guys do even more damage in order to balance that out. Yeah. And like I say, I roll a lot of ones, so I'm a little bit like... Uh, <laughs> Terrified. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, and I kind of, from how they've spoken about other things, it feels like they're pushing MSU a little bit more. Um, in the oh, book. really? Because I got a kind of feeling recently that um, they're, they're going to try and equalise that a bit because they feel that MSU's gone a bit too far. It's like too good just now. I've heard that more recently, but right, when they okay. released some of the sneak peeps for the Warrior book like a few months ago... Still getting the feeling the, that it's very MSU. Yeah, right, okay. some, of the, some of the conversations that people were having on the forums, it sounded like that's how it was going to have to be played in order for it to be really utilised properly. Uh, like to get the most out of the new rules, which doesn't really appeal to me. Like, I got into this game, I originally thought, I'm going to play 8th, went on the website, it's no longer there. I had to figure out what the fuck this Age of Sigmar shit was. <laughs> uh, it took me like an hour to figure out that it was a brand new game, and it, the old <laughs> game was just gone. So I'm into this for rank and file. I like big hordes of guys. Like, I'm not interested in running multiple small units of shit running around. It's just not cinematic enough for me. I just can't immerse myself in that playstyle. Um, I think that's fair enough. And I'm sure there'll be options in the book not to do that, but I just hope that it's not going to be the case where, after playing the new book, I'm going to be like, right, in order for that unit to work, I have to run it as MSU. I think that'll be pretty disappointing if that's the case. But, like I say, there's nothing really in the back of my mind that I desperately want. I think it's just, I think it'll just depend on how the main rule book goes and where the overall power level will be. But yeah, I'm kind of open. Like they've said, all the models are still going to be able to be used. They're not taking anything away from that perspective. So as it stands right now, what's your yeah. what's your favourite unit in the book? And what unit do you really dislike slash don't really see a use for? I don't know if I'd say any particular unit. I like, a general thing I really like and what draws me to the Warriors is the marks and being able to have that utility with certain units where you can really tailor them with different weapon options, um, magic banners, and, and marks, and you can run them in different ways. I really like that. The fact that they're taking marks away from certain units has me a little bit worried, like I say. So okay. wait and see how that plays out. As a favourite unit, I'd probably say warriors, just the, the kind of core warrior guys. I just think they're really cool. Pure like if vanilla. I could, if I could just run, like, 4,500 points of <laughs> just just armored warriors. Dudes. Yeah. yeah, just armoured dudes that look cool on the table, I would probably do that. That's I do like bringing occasional monsters and things, but I've never really been into like having a monster mash. A monster mash. Yeah. Recently, I've discovered dragon centaurs, and I do have a dark soul. <laughs> Which is funny, right? Because oh, I think I was listening to the Vale Renegades. Oh, that's something we forgot to do earlier. Big thank you to Vale Renegades, uh, to Thundercox, and to Fantasy Wargaming Podcast, all for shouts out for uh, Siege. It's much appreciated, guys. Um, but I was listening to, I think it was Vale. No, it might have been Fantasy. No, it was. It was Fantasy Wargaming, sorry. And they were talking about um, how they recently went to a tournament in Midlands, the singles event, and the Dragon Centaurs weren't really a presence. And I think that's really, really weird because I think, I know in games we've played that they've 
they've got hard counters, uh, Dragon Centaurs, but when they get into things like infantry, you know, they're designed yeah. to munch infantry, and they do do that pretty well. Yeah, I just the, the one thing to me that they don't have is fear. They should cause fear. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think be immune to fear because it's just like them failing fear checks is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, my one dude with the scary helmet scared the shit out of them multiple times. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I really like them. Just like the toughness uh, five, four wounds, movement seven, swift strength, um, stomp two. They're just strength five base. They're just amazing. Just really good. Toughness five. I, I think toughness five is such a good thing. It's really, yeah, and I, you really I, underestimate it until you get in it. And then. And I think sort of similar to what you were saying earlier about the support rules and how some people don't fully appreciate that when you put them on the table. With them, I think just when as I've only really been playing them the last couple of months, but since I've been putting them on the table, people have been like, "Oh, what do they do?" and "Do they have to take DTs and things?" I'm like, "No, they don't have to take DTs. They can just run wherever the fuck they want. They don't give a shit." And they're right; they have swift stride. I'm like, "Yep." And Damn, like, sure they do. <laughs> yeah, it's just they're just so good. Like I say, the only downfall is the, the fear issue. And, yeah. yeah, that just seems to be their big weakness like anytime I have to roll a fear check I'm always like shit I'm always like cacking my pants that they're just going to fail are they, like, are they leadership 7 base or leadership 8 um, I think they're leadership 8 yeah so leadership 7 and a fear they check do get tra- 50, 50. they do get true chaos uh, which but that's only re-rolling panic checks so they're not um, no so it's not fear checks because that would it's be not fear uh, checks it's rage checks it's useful but it's not like it's Super not useful. a solution to the problem yeah. that they have yeah and what uh, about, but what about Sorry, what did, you, did you have a unit that you just don't ever really find a use for? I know what this is before you even say it. <laughs> um, I, well, there's there's certain <laughs> units there's certain units in the book that I've just never taken. I've never taken trolls. I've never taken chimeras. They're not the ones uh, that you, you want to say though, Paul, are they? <laughs> what are you talking about? Starts with H and sounds like hell cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, I have taken the hell cannon. It's <laughs> piece of shit. It's awful. It's just rubbish. Like it's a monster that shoots. But that was it's a, a quote, cool, by the way. That wasn't just me. <laughs> I really like the Glockin model. Yeah, um, I'm cool. someone that GW really one. likes GW models. Um, <laughs> I'm not someone that goes Ooh. out of their way to like avoid Games Workshop at all costs. Yeah, um, like me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I re- if I could have, not because I could field it. But if I could just have the money to buy like multiple Glockins, and just have cool. like yeah, because cool. for I think from the hobbying point of view as well, just like being able to paint something that would be really fun, and they do look good on the table. So having a better Hell Cannon would be nice. And I, they have talked about redoing the Hell Cannon. I think it is and it isn't going to be in the book, from what they've said. There yeah. is going to be a kind of monsterish thing that can do some sort of ranged ability on the table, whether that be damage or. It can like teleport people, whatever the fuck they're talking about. Um, I think it'll be cool. But yeah, I've basically got a hell cannon model there that I've not actually finished because I ran it twice and it was shit. And then it just <laughs> sat on the paint table. I just you know fell out with it completely and I was like, right, I'm not taking you anymore. Um, yeah. What about you? Like, what are you hoping for in the new book? I mean, like I say, I think. I mean, I'm a big Empire player, but also uh, I'm in the process of building a VC army, vampires. Um, so for for Empire first, I think that the Empire book is is pretty good actually. It's very well internal balanced. There's a couple of units that just don't really have a place, like the Imperial Rangers. 
um, are just, they don't really have a role in the army because, yeah, they have the ambush and stuff like that, but they're just not good enough, really. Um, That's interesting. There was a, I was listening to the Armour Time podcast the other night, and the uh-huh. chap on there was, I think he said that in one of his lists that he was running recently, he had like three units of them or something. I don't I don't know what they're doing on the table. Um, like I say, I've never, re- I think I've seen Nick use them once, but I don't know if he did anything when he used them. See, when you drop a unit of 10 on the table, Nick has done this, right? He drops a unit of 10. They, they put out 20 shots. Right. Because they've got multiple shots too. So, I mean, they do put out a lot of damage, but they're strength 3 bowfire. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sure, if you've got light armor or you're unarmored, toughness 3, like EOS, goblins, or um, vermin swarm, or, uh, yeah, even uh, elves, you know, that's the potential heart, but the vast majority of stuff just doesn't give a shit about them. And well, they're, not, yeah. they're not even good at taking out war machines. I know, because I've, I've been speaking to Felix a lot, and um, Felix has said on the forum as well that they're getting you know, some kind of tweak to make them really good, and Felix is really hyped about them, but I think they were an army that did need addressed. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean, overall, I think the Empire is alright. I think that our biggest issue is just cost um, and core, but really that's a cost and issue in and of itself, because I just think that we pay a lot for the the support systems and the kind of the way that Empire works, we pay like a premium for that, and it just doesn't really come through. Mm-hmm. And I think just if everything was just a little bit cheaper, the army would function better overall. Because I know that I mean, I, you guys must get sick of me moaning about Empire Core, but I, I don't think that reducing core allowance will fix the problem. I think that Empire should be an army that has a big, you know, a big uh, contingent of kind of cheap shit, because that's just kind of the nature of the army. But I think that the issue is that our stuff is shit, but it's not necessarily cheap. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. Like, I think it would be very weird if your army they did drop the core allowance. Uh, like you say, I think yeah, it just I don't fits. know if that would really work either. Because no, I think things they just need to be brought down in price, so you just can bring more of certain things. Yeah, um, or just more bodies to certain units, etc. But this is this is kind of my my concern for the Empire book is that I don't really think it needed a lot, but I think it is getting quite quite a lot of changes. Yeah, you kind of feel like they're maybe overcompensating I a little bit. I think so, yeah. And I've got this terrible feeling that they're re- in their pursuit to make stuff like War Machines a bit better and Light Infantry a bit better, that they've gone too far shooting and that we're, we're going to become too much of a stationary shooting army. And I'm a little bit concerned about that because the two elements of shooting that our army has that does well are um, state militia with pistols and riders. And both of those units are lightly armoured, mobile, black powder, weapon-wielding guys. And I know they, they cause a lot of contention in other armies because they think they're too good for what they are. I tell those guys to fuck off, like, but <laughs> we are allowed good units. That's the thing. I think those kind of units, if you let them do what they want to do, they're a fucking nightmare. Yeah, particularly the writers because they're so fast. You've got to go after them. Yeah. And if you go after them, that's when you start getting problems because, generally speaking, you have to keep your army fairly well regimented. Like, you have to have things next to one another in order for buffs and yeah, all that kind of stuff for orders and things, which means that as soon as you start fleeing or you're failing terror checks or whatever, that can kind of turn to shit quite quickly. Yeah, and that's which I think is a good thing. We've played where because um, you've been running the Blood Beast recently, and obviously he causes fear because he's a monster and he's just been charging stuff. And you know those occasional times where you just can't get under eight on a reroll, that's when yeah issues start. And if you're running your writers. 
shenanigans. You're not going to get a reroll anyway. Exactly, you're in not leadership gonna... seven, and that's yeah. a fifty-fifty that they're going to run away and might not even come back. So yeah. But you know, I think yeah. Overall, I think the the book is in a good place just now. It does need tweaks, but I'm just concerned that the changes are going to go um, are going to go too far in a direction. But my my favorite unit just now, unsurprisingly, is nightly orders. <laughs> So I'm really I'm for from now till two point I'm really just trying to get my most use out of them, and I, I mean I think I don't really like the whole idea about core knights because I think that is an equitine thing, and I think that's one of the things that the equitine guys are right about because I, I think they moan a lot about what empires doing, but uh, I do think that empire is a mixed arms army, but it should include cavalry, whereas equitine should be have either the option of being a peasant army or a knight army, um, and I'm just concerned that by removing knightly orders. And either making core knights too good or not good enough that you're going to remove that arm from the army. But I think that's enough. it's hard again. It's hard to really say anything until you've seen the book. And I'm totally aware of that that I could be talking absolute shit and it could have really fixed the issues. This is again goes back to what we're saying about that little bit of information that we're the community is just kind of needing because we don't know, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think that's the worry is that the community feels like they don't know either. Yeah. Um, but you know. I really like Knightly Orders. I know they're not a particularly popular unit on the forums, and I've kind of tried to defend them whenever anyone's back about them. Uh, but I do really like them. I just like the. F- I really like Empire. It's by far my favorite army. That's why I, obviously I play them, and I, I really like how they look on the table because you've got you know those big units of heavy infantry, supported by war machines and uh, shooting stuff, and you've got those knights that are you know your hard hitters. So I'll I'll be sad when they go. But maybe maybe they won't come back because I know that everything is you know apparently not set in stone, so they might end up coming back. But we'll wait and see. Yeah, you never know. Never know. So that podcast was meant to last an hour, <laughs> one hour forty-seven minutes on the dot. Yeah. So I think that's probably about time to wrap up. Um, do you have anything you want to say before we do the outro? Not really. I think we kind of cover everything we meant to cover. Yeah, just fucking um, cannon, that kind of thing. Yeah, fuck the hell cannon. Um, <laughs> I've got to get that in a t-shirt, actually. Fuck the hell cannon, yeah. yeah. Not the one on Total War, because that's fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah, they're paying the ass in Total War. But yeah, I think we'll... I don't even know where you would put it. Who's that? I don't know. Let's just not talk about it anymore. That's <laughs> horrible. Are we going to be doing these bi-weekly? Bi-monthly? Yeah, so the, I think the plan overall is to get them like semi-regular, because basically... This has mainly come about from Paul and I talk about the uh, ninth a lot, <laughs> so we thought maybe we should yeah. record this and actually make use out of it. So we will try and keep them regular. Um, we're both, you know, busy people, so it might not be set in stone. But we, I think, at least once a month, I think is a fair, fair ask. If not, yeah, more regular. I think, and um, like you say, if there's a tournament on or if there's some sort of event, yeah. we might do special episodes for those. And if we can maybe get some of the other guys on from the community, like Ed or Nick or some of the other people I've mentioned, that would be good to get yeah. their take on yeah, We will be looking to get guests on and we're going to have a session where we get Ed on and talk about uh, Ninth Age fluff and background and stuff like that because obviously he's the man in the know. Um, but equally, if you guys all think this is shit, we'll stop doing it. <laughs> Yeah. Do we have a an email account or we anything? We do. So um, if anyone's got any questions or potential topics or general just thoughts, um, 
or you know just feedback basically because uh, this is the first time we've done this so it's probably going to be dog shit but um, <laughs> if you've got constructive feedback <laughs> yeah. um, you can get in touch with us a, a number of ways uh, I am lost cause all one word on the forum Paul is space goblin I am you can get us on there or you can get us on the Scottish Ninth Age Facebook page or Twitter at Scottish Ninth Age um, or you can send us an uh, email address at scottishwildlings at gmail.com, which is the, um, the club's Facebook, uh, sorry, Facebook email address. Um, so yeah, so any questions, feedback would be good, potential topics that we can do in the future. Um, the next show will probably be run up to Siege itself, so we'll probably wait until we've got lists and, and we'll have a show and we'll maybe get a guest on or something and talk about lists and general approaches to the tournament and things like that but um, absolutely yeah so that all sounds good yeah man that sounds good so uh take it easy and um, we'll see you next time stay crazy <laughs> <laughs>